pray together. Our Father, it's been good to be here this morning together under the watchful eye of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We know you are very present with us, and Lord, we thank you as we just sang that song with the recognition that you are the sovereign King of the universe, the Lord of Lords, and you love us and care for us, and you are our forever King, and we are citizens of your kingdom as those who've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and have received his salvation as a gift by the grace of God and have received the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers us and enables us to live kingdom citizen ethics. So I pray this morning, Father, because the teachings are challenging, that by your grace you would cause us to respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. He wants to continue to transform us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ, the one who died for us. We thank you, we love you. We pray now as we open your word that you will bless it to our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, for those of you who have been following along in the saga of the mug and water and not the plastic bottle, you'll remember it was for my mom, Mother's Day. I only promised it for one Sunday. And you'll also remember that I was... um, saying she really hadn't noticed yet. Well, she's noticed. And she likes it. And since this weekend is her birthday weekend, she's 86 years old, mom, happy birthday, still using the mug. There you go. I want to stay very well positioned in the will. Oh boy. Well, you know, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have made it known, and I trust you have, to family and friends and co-workers, that people know who you are. They know, they know that you're a Christian. They know that you follow the Lord Jesus Christ and love him with all of your heart. Then I'm sure you're aware that they are always watching you. They are watching you and making judgment on how you are living. Not by, so much by what you say, but they watch with their eyes how you live. People are always watching for a better way or looking for a better way to live. They're looking at people's lives to see is, do they have something in their life that that is working, that I don't have? And in our case, it's someone in our lives. And Jesus, early on in, in the Sermon on the Mount, said this, in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As Jesus continues with his sermon, he continues to add to us behavior 
expectations of those who are followers of Christ that ultimately, if lived out according to Jesus' teaching, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bring praise to the Father in heaven. Now, whether you're admired by the people around you or resented by the people around you, is it because of your constantly righteous behavior? I hope so. This series is a refresher on Christian identity, answering the question, who are we really? And what is the flag that we're flying on June, in June 2022? Because if we are sharing in Christ, our lives should reflect that. So, so far, we've looked at several things in, this, in the scriptures, in this part of the sermon, where Jesus was talking about, you've heard it said, but I say. And for the most part, we've covered, for Christians, pretty obvious stuff. There hasn't been much wiggle room to, to wonder about it in our own lives. I mean, let's face it, we've looked at, at anger as destructive. We know that. We, we've looked at, at, um, at lust as demeaning to, to people. We've looked at divorce as, as destroying marriages. So we've looked at the moral stuff that Jesus has given to us, and for the most part, there's, there's no arguments from us. Like, of course that's the way it is. But we're going to take a deeper dive now into three different things, today just two and then next week another one, that are raising the bar in Christian life to the place where it's, well, whoa, that's, that's a higher standard than I was thinking. So if you've been, um, if you've sort of been let off the hook the last couple of weeks, it's very unlikely that any of us will come out unscathed today. I'm setting that up for you so you know in advance. This, is, this next section is more focused on social order, not moral stuff as much as social order. What we're like in public or in the political arena. We've taken a pretty deep dive into that lately. What wasn't so much obvious to us three or four or five years ago has become so in this text for us today, I think. And so when we look at what we're going to look at today, it's, it's almost, it could almost be described as Christianity on steroids. But that's not what it is. It's Christianity, real Christianity, with the power of the Holy Spirit and what it looks like. So are you intrigued? Would you open up your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5? Because we're, answering the, we're asking the question today, do you make God look good or easy to reject by how you lie, live? Do you make God look good or easy to reject by how you live? And in particular, in speech and in behavior when you're mistreated by others. Okay, that's what we're looking at today. So with that, having said that, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 33 and then move right through down to verse 42. Again, 
you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Well, this is the word of God. You still want to stay and hear what we have to say? You want to leave. It's not going to be easy. Jesus gives us two higher living principles today that we're going to look at that reflect a righteousness that surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees, as he has described. And the first is this that we're going to look at in verses 33 to 37. Do you mean what you say and say what you mean? If people were to characterize your life, people who know you, whether Christians or not, Do they look at you and say, well, you know what? His yes is yes, or her yes is yes, and her no is no. They are people of their word. How good is your word? How honest are you? Always. And we're talking about the level of speech that that is, is entirely truthful. I mean, could your speech be considered at times dishonest or deceptive or misleading? or exaggeration, or leaving out some facts, shaded, or inaccurate? Because Jesus is calling on Christians, kingdom citizens, to live a life of honesty, to live a life of truthfulness. Now, there's been a a fair degree of challenge with this teaching of Jesus over the centuries, particularly because in the court systems that have developed over the years, people are required to swear an oath or swear on the Bible when they're testifying in court or taking the oath of office to, to, to take an oath. And Jesus says, I tell you, do not swear at all. He's not talking about cursing here. He's talking about swearing uh, uh, on with the name of God. And, and so it's varied. In fact, uh, Quakers today will not take an oath. They just simply will not. And it wasn't until after Constantine's time that Christians started to take oaths again. They weren't taking oaths at all prior to that, based on Jesus' teaching here. I can tell you that that oaths are not forbidden in the Old Testament. In fact, we don't have time to look at a bunch of them, but if we look back at Deuteronomy, for instance, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, 
we are we are exhorted here fear the Lord your God serve him only and take your oaths in his name so oaths are not forbidden in the scriptures but Jesus takes our lives to a whole different level of truthfulness particularly because by the time Jesus was walking this earth, the taking of oaths had become a sham. We don't have to look very far in the book of Matthew to have that proven. If you want to, look with me at Matthew chapter 23, for instance, and read what Jesus, read with me what Jesus said to the Pharisees with respect to swearing oaths. In Matthew 23, verse 16, Jesus says this, Woe to you, blind guides! You say... If anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So by the time Jesus had arrived, there was this dishonest system that was perpetrated by the religious leaders that people could stratify their promises and their oaths and their swearing and by the name of Jerusalem or by the gold of the temple or whatever. And if you didn't know the system, you wouldn't know whether they were telling you the truth or not. It was a sort of a sophisticated system of where we would put our hand behind our back and cross our fingers and tell somebody something and say, well, it wasn't true because I had my fingers crossed. Jesus is like, shame on you. Like, there's no way my kingdom citizens are going to continue to live like this. No way. So he says, do not swear at all. Now, Jesus here is protecting trustworthiness of Christian speech. We've already seen that he's protected relationships from contempt. We've learned that several weeks ago. We've seen that Jesus has sought to protect the objectifying of the opposite sex through lust. We've seen Jesus protect marriage by challenging those who would divorce for any and every reason. Now we're seeing Jesus protect society from untruthfulness. And the simple matter, he's, he's the simple matter is that Jesus is now condemning untruthfulness, period. That, that Christians should feel the need to attach the name of God onto something they say to make it more trustworthy or more likely true should not happen. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your word be your word. Let it be honest. Let it be sincere. A Christian, in other words, shouldn't have to go into court and put their hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I don't even know if we do that in Canadian courts. I've watched American stuff too much. I don't know, judge, if we do that in Canadian courts or not. We do? Okay. But a Christian, he says, should be telling the truth. 
It's always kind of struck me as odd that an atheist would put his hand on the Bible and swear to tell the whole truth, the truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God when they don't believe in God anyway. Do you think their word is going to be trustworthy? But this is about the protection of the community from untrustworthiness. I was reading the um, Toronto Sun this week. Do, do we know that, that our lives depend on the truth? I mean, they really do. I, I don't think I'm overstating this, and I think the importance that Jesus puts on this is, is quite in order. You and my lives depend on the truth. So I was, I was reading, and I think the last two years of mess that we've been in is fundamentally about the fact that we've lost confidence that, our, that people are telling us the truth. We've lost confidence that our politicians are telling us the truth. Well, that wasn't over the last two years, that was... But we, we've lost confidence that, that our physicians are telling us the truth. We never, we never knew, at least I never realized, how politicized the medical health care system in Ontario really is. Or for that matter, all kinds of other institutions that are highly politicized. How can you know if people are telling the truth when they have their own agenda? So in referencing, the Toronto Sun, in referencing the trucker convoy that took place a little bit ago, um, they had interviewed two former chiefs of police of the city of Ottawa. The most recent one who resigned said this, and he's bang on, listen. I believe in the long term, the greater threat to the security, safety in our democracy and in the parliamentary precinct will be around the level of trustworthiness that people have in our institutions. That's 100% bang on. And the chief of police prior to him, Vern White, who some of you may know, said this, the inability for us to have a single source of truth, to have timely information that is consumed and believed and trusted and therefore acted upon is one of the greatest national security threats, local threats that we're facing. That's exactly right. I think the greatest threat in Canada today is a lack of confidence that people are being told the truth. A lack of confidence in our institutions. A lack of confidence in our leadership and in our leaders over us. So to that, Jesus addresses his people, his kingdom citizens, and says, not so with you. With you, because God is ultimately trustworthy, you represent the Heavenly Father. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You represent the truthful one. So everything you say must be truthful. Tell the truth always. When you tell the truth always, you know, you never have to remember what you said. It's an insult to the Lord that a Christian would tell the truth only if they are forced to by oath or under oath. It's an insult to the Lord. Let me just quickly go over the things that he's saying here. He's really saying what we said about in Matthew 23. 
Jesus ex is explaining when he says, you know, do not swear at all, either by heaven for it's God's throne or the earth for it's his footstool. Look, look at it, he says, don't try to use less sacred things to weasel out of your promises. That's what he's saying here. Because the earth is the Lord's, the temple is the Lord's, the city of Jerusalem is the Lord's. So whatever you choose to use to sort of lessen the seriousness of your promise to the point where it's deceptive, recognize that, that God is being dragged into your falsehood because that all belongs to God anyway. So don't think that you can do that. And then he says, you're not sovereign. You can't make even one hair white or black. Well, in those days, you couldn't. We have a lot of deceptive hair right now, but in those days, you couldn't. That's okay. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Humans cannot command sovereign things. We're not in control of a single thing. That you start attaching God's name to things that you claim are going to happen or do, you better be very careful about that. You should be saying stuff like, if God wills, as God is my helper. Those are different things, different ways, saying things. So he says, let your yes be yes. Trustworthy people need no guarantor. You don't need to be saying, so help me God, I'm telling you the truth, or honest to God, I'm telling you, come on. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let, be characterized as that. People are saying, you know, tell you, truth be told, or I'm not going to lie. What do you mean? You lie normally, but now you're not going to? I know it's just sayings out there that are grown tired, but... And abusing the invocation of a divine guarantor by just in, over silly things and, and trite things, dropping, airdropping God's name into your speech carelessly? He says, is nothing short of the devil's work. That's what he says here. Anything beyond your yes and your yes and your no and your no is beyond, is, comes from the evil one. Wow. So, Holy Spirit citizens, Holy Spirit-filled citizens of the kingdom of God are known for their trustworthy speech. Always. Let your word always be trustworthy. Shade nothing. Status of things lately, lately we've been, we're, we're satisfied with, well, maybe it's true. Or I think it could be true. No, no. Not at all. Listen, for all of you keyboard warriors, for all of us keyboard warriors out there who've been busy chirping online and sending stuff off willy-nilly, You are held responsible by Jesus for what you say. You are held responsible for Jesus by what you represent as true. You are held responsible by Jesus based on what you are endorsing and passing along as true. 
And a lot of us have been passing along stuff that just isn't true. So you better fact check. Stirring people up with untruths. And we're held accountable to Jesus for that. I do know something that is true. And so do all of you. God's word is true. So if you need to share truth, share God's word. You can't go wrong because it's the truth. So he then takes us up a notch in the next section. Takes us to high road living. Jesus makes Christianity literally impossible with what he's going to say next. Say, well, wait a minute. Literally impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will never ask you to do something that he's not going to empower you to do through the Holy Spirit. So none of us can say, I just can't do this. I can't do it. If you know the Lord, you can't. Jesus is calling us to this. Now keep in mind, the mission of Calvary Baptist Church is to make fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. That's a lifetime. That's a project. We're all projects of the Holy Spirit. He's growing us. You may not be here yet. You may not be where we're going, but, but God is moving you here. God is enabling you to get here. This, we're, we're challenging each other to live this way. We're encouraging each other, building each other up to live this way. So here's the section. It has to do with the eye for eye and tooth for tooth thing. Do you handle personal abuse and mistreatment with jaw-dropping grace? That's the question of this section. With jaw-dropping, literally, people interacting you, and he's talking about an evil person, evil people, people not doing nice things to you, mistreating you. Do their jaws drop having interacted with you because of the incredible grace they experience in your life? That's what Jesus is pointing to here. Now, in the ancient Near East, there was a common law, which in Latin is lex talionis, which means in English, the law of retaliation. Now, this law existed eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and it served society to prevent social chaos, to structure punishment. In other words, there were two reasons that this law was, was enacted. It wasn't just in Israel, it was also in the surrounding ancient Near East. But this law was to limit liability to proportion. In other words, if someone knocked out your tooth, you couldn't crush their head. There's a proportionality about this. It's a law that the punishment should fit the crime, okay? That's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. And, and the, New Test or the Old Testament talks about this. Jesus is not going to abrogate the law here. He's going to take us to a whole different level of personal interaction. And I'm going to try to stress this multiple times so that we get this. This is about personal interaction. Jesus is not talking about abrogating the legal system or social order or punishment or anything like that. He's talking about personal one-on-one -on -one interaction, mano a mano, 
how you can live in a different way. I'm gonna say it more. You'll get tired of hearing me say it, I think. But just know this, that, that the law, this law limited liability and it also increased the seriousness of negligence. So that you couldn't just go around recklessly damaging people and nothing would happen. So it's a good law. It was a proper law. It maintained justice. It served an important civic purpose. And I believe that con this concept still exists in our court systems today. A proportionality, punishment needs to fit the crime. But Jesus is gonna confront here the, the possibility that you may be mistreated by someone evil, and he's now gonna call us to a generous reaction. We, we have legal rights, we have other rights that we could choose to, to use, but Jesus is calling us to a, a ministry to evil people that takes us to a whole different place. So we have social justice, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and then we have kingdom magnanimity. You can be magnanimous in your individual dealings. I would say, as we work our way through this, that this last couple of years has been a real exercise in the discovery of whether or not we are magnanimous, generous, or not. So let's dive in, because we're called here to use evil intentions against us to cause us to starve self-idolatry. When Jesus called us to be followers of himself, what was the first thing he said to us? He told us in following him, what are we supposed to do? Come and follow me and take up your cross and deny yourself. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This is the Holy Spirit's work on our lives to train us how to deny ourselves. I don't know about you, I don't want to deny myself anything. It's not natural for me to deny myself. I'm never, I never find that a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing to deny ourselves. And this is going to call us to train in what it looks like to deny ourselves. And in so doing, grow more and more and more like the disciple of Jesus Christ that we're called to. So what's this? Jesus gives us four illustrations, four examples. Again, this is personal. This is not, he's not teaching public abrogation of, abrogation of the law. He's teaching that you can live a different way in person-to-person -person interactions. Here's the first one. Do not resist evil, an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, it was known in the cultural moment of Jesus that um, there was an acceptable slap in the face and an unacceptable slap in the face. It was acceptable to slap a person with the palm of your, palm of your hand, slap their face, if there was something that was wicked about what was happening or whatever. But if you pay attention to physics for a second, we're talking about getting slapped on the right cheek. Now for you to, or I to get slapped on the right cheek, normally by a right-handed person, it's a backhand slap. You think about it for a few moments, you can't get slapped on the right cheek 
by a right-handed person except for a backhanded slap. The backhanded slap was the slap of utter dishonor. So Jesus is taking this to a high level of disrespect and dishonor. And he's saying to them, go ahead and turn the other cheek and allow them to slap the other cheek. Now there's some fanciful stuff out there that I used to kind of hang around with that said Jesus was turning and and then they were going to have to slap on the more respectable way because they'd have to slap your left cheek. I find it a little bit too fanciful. I just don't think Jesus was really going there. I think he's making a very simple statement. When you are dishonored, do not fight for your honor. That's, That's the way you are going to be. When you are dishonored, you can choose by the power of the Holy Spirit to make God look good by choosing just to be dishonored and not to fight back. Now, he's going to talk to us this morning about two slaps, about two garments, about a two-trek mile, and about two asks. Nothing accidental about that structure. So the next thing he he says is, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, again, at the custom at the time of Jesus within the legal system is that you could, you could have your cloak taken as a surety, but not longer for, for some debt you owed. And someone could take your cloak and, and you, as a surety, and you could not get your cloak back until you paid your debt, but they could not keep your cloak past the evening. Because for a poor person, the cloak was their blanket. The garments of the ancient Near East, the garments at the time of Jesus, had a tunic, an, in, an inner uh, garment, which, which was long and it had long sleeves, and then they had a cloak, often a short sleeve cloak, over top of them. That cloak was what they used for staying warm. But notice what Jesus says here. So, so he's saying, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, which lawfully they can do, but they can't take your cloak... He's saying, let him take your cloak too. Jesus is literally saying here, when your personal rights are violated, do not insist on your rights. Don't fight for your rights. They have the right in the court to take your tunic. They don't have the right to take your cloak, but don't fight for your rights. Give them your cloak. Jesus is literally saying here, better to go naked than to fight for your rights. Now, most of us, this is like crashing right now. Remember what I said? You're saying, what does that mean? The Charter of Rights, the Canadian Charter of Rights, we just throw it out and all that. No, no. Remember what I said? Jesus is not abrogating the law. He is not promoting social chaos. He is saying, in your personal interactions, you can give up your rights for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Because the disciples' center of gravity is Jesus Christ. It's not in what we own, it's in who we have. And we represent him, not holding on to our 
property, our possessions. It is him who matters to us. He moves on from here. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In the particular setting, again, a Roman soldier at the time of Jesus could conscript anyone and make them carry his gear a mile. The law permitted the carrying of a Roman soldier's gear for a mile. This is a, this is a power structure event. A Roman soldier could look at any citizen, no matter what structure, stratus that they had in life, and say, you, come and carry my gear. And you had to carry it for a mile. After a mile, you were to be released, and someone else would carry it the next mile. And so on and so on. So, so this was, this, this whole idea was the, the soldier making this, it was, was forced service, that the government could actually, the government had the power to force compliance. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, newsflash, the government has the right to force compliance of the law. It was degrading. It was degrading to exiles. It, 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 was, it stole your soul to be like a, a beast of burden for a Roman soldier, to be treated like an animal. So Jesus says to them, if that happens to you, go the second mile. Go the second mile, because you serve the Lord Christ and him alone. So serve him. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Go the first mile, by law. And render unto God what is God's. Go the second mile. That's great stuff. In, in this socially charged moment for us? This is heavy stuff. This is about dying to yourself, dying to your pride, dying to your rights. Remember, we're in the school of Jesus, the school of being different people, not the same as everybody else. Jaw-dropping generosity, jaw-dropping grace. That's who we are. And then finally he says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. When you may be taken advantage of, give what will actually benefit someone. This, by the way, this, Jesus is not encouraging or promoting laziness here. He's not, he's not promoting professional beggars. What he is doing is promoting in our lives a generosity of heart, a generosity of spirit, an inclination when people ask you for something to give it to them if you have it. If someone asks to borrow something from you and you have it, give it to them. If someone asks you to give them something and you have it, give it to them. Remember what we're doing? We're weaning ourselves off of self-idolatry. And that's hard to do. We hold on to our stuff and we forget that everything that we have is God's. He owns it all. 
We're just stewards of whatever we have. And God says, I want you to give my stuff away. It's, it's amazing. In, the, in Proverbs 19.17, it says, Befriending the poor is lending to God, and he will repay. What do you think of God as your financial guarantor? Pretty sound stuff. God's not going to be a debtor to anyone. He says, go ahead, befriend the poor. And your lending to God changes everything. And he will repay. So those in kingdom learned how to deny themselves through a certain way of handling mistreatment. This is, this is alien stuff, isn't it? This is, this is unbelievable stuff. We, we've all looked in the mirror and, and we've seen how poorly we've handled a lot of this stuff recently. At least I have. Let me, let me bring it right into your family. Husband and wife. Think about this. Think about the ethics that are here for you. When your spouse says something dishonoring to you. It often, it, it happens sometimes. Do you bite back at them with, for their disrespect and start a big fight over it? Jesus says, wouldn't it just be better to be dishonored and let it go? I mean, think about how our relationships would unfold if we did this. What, what about when your rights are somehow violated in your marriage. I have the right to this, or I have the right to that. What if you didn't choose to insist upon your rights all the time? Or, or what, if, what if you're being exploited and asked to do something that you feel is just beyond what you should be asked to do? We'd never do that. Eh? We, we'd never ask our spouse to do something that, that's beyond what they think they should have to do. What if we went the second mile? That's where the saying comes from. And finally, what if our spouse asked us for something? And instead of making a big song and dance fight about it, we just gave it to them. How different would our marriages be? How different would our relationships be if we just embrace this? Listen, we resist the devil by not falling for his stuff, not falling for his tricks. Jesus is calling us to an entirely different standard that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you in? Yeah, let me think about it. Jesus is calling us to this. He really is. This is growth. This is discipleship. Father, I thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's demanding. It requires the energy of the Holy Spirit, but you haven't left us without that. And so I do pray, Lord, this morning, starting with me, this sermon of yours is something else, Lord. It's taking us weeks to mine it. 
and the behavior that you are requiring of us, the ethics of exiles in a difficult, tough world, and what we could be and what we should be and what we can be to bring praise to the Father in heaven by them seeing our good deeds, our light shining is, is really worth it. As we witnessed in the baptistry this morning, something was missing in Mike and Don's life and Brooklyn's life. And they came searching. People are searching, Lord, we know that. And they're looking for someone who has what they think is missing. And we can show it to them by this kind of life. May it be so of us. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Loved of Jesus Christ, Jesus is not calling us to abandon social rights. He's calling on us not to insist upon them in our personal lives and interactions with one another. So I trust that we have a hunger and a thirst for the ways of Jesus. They are the light that our world is looking for, that our Father in heaven might be praised. God bless you all. Have a great day.